life. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Frankie. And I'm Alex. And together, we are FNA Van Life. This is the podcast where every week we bring you news or information from the nomadic community so that you can know what it's really like to live life on the road. If you haven't listened to some of our other episodes, make sure to go back, get to know the community that we've gotten to know so well. We love all the different podcasts that we've done, and you could probably find somebody that's pretty similar to you. Today, we are going to talk about getting unstuck. We have been stuck in the van a couple different times in our first van and in our new van. And every time that we get stuck, it's almost like a totally different scenario. Whether it's winter van life, beach van life, summer van life, you can literally get stuck anytime. Yeah. All it takes is some loose rock and uh, or some like uh, icy snow, you know, some, some sand. It takes so many different things. Yeah, so today we're going to share a couple of the times that we've been stuck and some of the things that really helped us get unstuck. So whether it's gear, help from friends, um, just some like knowledge and know-how about leverage and moving things and getting things out of your way or using what's around you, we're going to tell you a couple of ways to help yourself get unstuck and be prepared for when you do. And if you want to visually see what we're talking about, go check out our YouTube channel. We just recently got stuck in our latest video, so you could see how we got out of that situation. It was pretty gnarly. It took a village, literally, to get out of the situation. Yeah, I feel like since we've come down to Central America, we've definitely been stuck pretty good a couple of times. So somebody actually just reached out to us on Instagram recently and they were worried about doing this trip and I get it. People say that it's dangerous, but honestly, the biggest danger is going to be your vehicle and getting your vehicle stuck. Before we get into the Mexico and Central America aspect of getting stuck, let's talk about the United States. Yeah, so I, the one that I'm thinking of that's coming to mind when we're talking about winter van life the very first time our first van got a little bit squirrely was actually in a parking lot in Big Sky. Mm-hmm. And we turned into a parking lot that we thought was the one we were supposed to be staying at. It wasn't. And we needed to turn around. But that had just snowed a ton. It hadn't been plowed. And we started sliding. Yeah, and I think that's one of the biggest issues is the fact of something not being plowed. Maybe you don't want to possibly take that road because you don't know what's underneath that snow. In this case, there was actually ice there. And that's what got us to slide a bit. And we started sliding. We're like, oh, no, no, stop, 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 stop. Because there was a car right there. And we were, like, reluctant enough to just barely miss hitting it. Yeah, we got lucky in that case. And so basically what we ended up doing is putting our snow chains on. So we got out of the van. We used a shovel to kind of dig out some of the snow around us. So Mm -hmm. that's the first piece of gear that you absolutely need to have is a shovel. So we dug out some of the snow, and then we put on our snow chains, which are also super vital. Yeah, and for us, we had snow chains that kind of, like, strapped on one at a time instead of, like, the full set. And they worked really well for us. So you could get any type of snow chains. They could be snow socks. They could be regular snow chains, like the normal ones. Or they could be the ones that you strap on there one at a time individually. As long as you have something that gives you some extra grip, that's really what you're going to need in that situation. So luckily, we got out really easily in that situation. And then we pulled down to a lot that was already plowed and possibly even salted. Yeah, so this time we got out completely unsupported, you know, maybe 30 minutes of just prepping and getting the tires right and thinking about it, and then we were able to back out away from the car, not hit it, and get to where we needed to be. And with the slipperiness, like, when we were on the way to Colorado, we actually were headed to another mountain, and there was an area where an 18-wheeler kind of, like, slid off the road, and uh, which brought us to a full stop when we were about to climb this little hill area. And as we were driving up that hill area, I felt the van kind of dancing, you know, to the side. It wanted to slide off the road, but I kind of just kept her moving, and uh, we made it up the top of the hill. But, yeah, I think that snow socks, snow chains, these things are really important when it comes to winter van life. And also really good tires. Mm -hmm. One of the first upgrades that we make on all of our vans is to upgrade to a beefier all-terrain tire that's really going to give you the grip that you need on wet stuff, on snow, in mud. If you're driving around with bald tires, you're going to get into so much more trouble. Mm -hmm. And cater your tires to the type of adventures that you're going to be doing. That's the most important thing because Alex and I, we love to try to kind of do everything. So 
the f with that being said, we're going to get all-terrain tires, so that way we could handle a little bit of mud, we could handle the snow, we could handle the sand, we could handle the rock, hopefully, you know, <laughs> and, um, and, and make sure you rotate those tires, keep them in good condition, but if you're going to do, like, just winter, like, snow-style van life, maybe... Think about getting just snow tires because that would keep you in a, you know, really nice situation. But also don't be stupid and say, oh, we're chasing 70. We're never going to hit any snow. We're never going to hit any ice. Believe me, you will. Oh, you absolutely will. Even if you're just on your drive from one spot to another, you might have to go through some elevation. Mm -hmm. You might have to get up into an area that's snowing to get to the area that's 70. And I'll say mountain passes are freaking scary if you don't have the proper tires or equipment uh, when it is snowing because, I mean, it's very easy that black ice could occur and when you start sliding down a mountain, there's nothing more scary than that. I mean, remember when we were in the old van and we were going to meet Kevin and it wasn't snow, but we tried to drive up a section that our van couldn't handle and then we started sliding backwards. Yeah, that was incredibly scary. And so at this point, I would say, in this little misadventure, the biggest thing that saved us was Frankie's driving skills. Why, thank you, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I was basically just there holding on to Paco, holding on to the oh shit bar. Screaming at me, saying, <laughs> why would you do that? Why would you do that? I'm like, I have no choice. I have to do this. Yeah, so do you want to explain kind of... So basically, it's the middle of the night also, so don't ever try to do any kind of like crazy driving at night do as we say not as we do in this yeah. situation but we certainly learned our lesson on this day yeah we try to stay away from driving at night altogether because ultimately you're a lot more safe driving during the day whether it's animals outside people bad weather conditions or road conditions you're gonna it's gonna save your life driving during the day most of the time um it's harder in the winter though because daytime ends at like 4 or 5 p.m but so in North America, so say like Canada and the United States, the main highways are generally pretty good, and if there's not a storm blowing through, you're probably fine and safe to drive at dark. Let's jump into the story, though. Okay, okay. All right, because we're getting off topic. So, jumping into the story, we're going to visit Uncle Kevin. If you guys don't know Uncle Kevin, he's a guy that we met on the road. Um, we met him in a parking lot, uh, like kind of in the beginning of the pandemic situation. Uh, we were up in Washington, an Olympic national, and just a dynamite guy. We became super good friends with him, so much so that we call him Uncle Kevin. And he's been there for us in so many different ways. He drove us literally from Oregon to Florida when we sold our last van. But the story goes with the old van, so it's before he took us all the way across the country in his van, and we lived in his van together. So we were headed into, I think it was Nevada. Reno. Yeah, uh, I think it was Carson City. Oh, uh, maybe. Does that make sense? They're all um, kind of near each yeah. other. So it was more like deserty, and we're driving up into these mountains to go. He dropped us a pin, and we were like, okay, we'll be there in like a day or two, but we actually wanted to surprise him. We wanted to get there that night and surprise him, which is probably not the best thing to do to a, you know, a ex-military uh, lifer, you know, so we, uh, we start to drive up this, this mountain and it's kind of sandy and we're driving up and we're like, ah, oh, this is pretty chill. And we're going down this road and he's like, yeah, I'm on top of this mountain. So like, let me know when you guys get here, you probably won't be able to make it. And we had the pin and the pin is kind of like the, the GPS just ends. Yeah. It's one of those things where the pin takes you as far as the road goes, and then there's these weird little dot, 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 your spot's right there. But the road was this, like, back road, twisty, windy, dirt road, and there was no clear way to get to the pin. So we're like, there's a spot where you could either go straight or make a right and try to climb up this, like, pretty decent-sized mountain slash hill. And uh, Alex and I decided, like, two dodo birds to give it a shot. And uh, I just kind of jam the gas pedal and we start making our way up and we're, we're actually cruising pretty good up it and then all of a sudden we hit like a, a rock that's kind of you know facing upwards which just like stopped us in our path yeah so at this point instead of charging upwards well we could start anymore. spinning yeah. in one spot yeah so now at this point I'm like Alex I gotta kind of just like let go of the brake and and try to turn us like I noticed that when we were going up the hill, it was kind of flat on both sides, like in the sense of 
there wasn't rock or terrain that we were just going to like, the van was just going to drop off of. But at the same time, I couldn't just go backwards down this hill because our brakes don't really work so great going backwards in the first van. So we, I'm like, all right, brace yourself. And I let go of the brake and I turned the wheel like uh, fully sideways. So that way we could kind of turn off the road and then we could get back onto the road going down it. But when we do that, I'm trying to hit the brakes and the brakes don't really seem to be working so great. And at that point, we just had like velocity rolling downhill because, yeah. you know, we're a many thousand pound vehicle and gravity had just taken over. Yeah. So I kind of um, I turned the wheel sideways to kind of, you know, like if you're parked on a hill, you turn your 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 wheel away from that direction. So that way it could kind of act as like a brake for you as well. Uh, or you like turn it into the curb. That was kind of what I was doing, even though there was no curb. And as we're going backwards, we kind of make it sideways and you feel the whole van rock. Like the brake finally engages and we stop and you feel the whole van rock back and forth, back and forth. And it legit felt like we were going to tip over. And I honestly don't know how we didn't because of the grade of the steepness that was there. Um, and Alex started screaming at me like, why would you do that? Why would you do that? And I was just like, I didn't mean to. <laughs> I, I just needed to get us turned around. And so I stopped driving out, and then I realized that um, it feels like we're dragging something. I thought it was just like a tree or something. But our bikes disengaged from the mount, and were actually dragging on the floor. Like, the mount was laying down, and it was dragging on the floor. It was pretty intense. Yeah, so in that case, no amount of recovery gear was going to help us. It was literally just, Jesus, take the wheel. Well, I think the recovery gear that would have helped us would have been uh, don't drive up something at night that you don't know what to expect. <laughs> so, like, that that's kind of the idea. This time was, wasn't was about recovery gear. It was more about the ability of the rig. So know the ab ability of your rig and uh, don't do something at night. Wait till the next morning. Kind of park up in a chill area. Don't try to charge it to, like, surprise your friend. Yeah, I think most of the time now, you know, we've learned our lesson over many different occasions we're all about walking the road first. Mm -hmm. So when you pull up to a spot and it starts to look a little bit squirrely ahead of you, stop the car, get out of the car, and go for a walk. Look at the terrain. Look at the different obstacles. Look at the elevation change. Are there mm. big rocks? Are there, you know, is the sand really soft under your feet? What else are you looking for? Yeah, I, I would say, like, make sure that you have the clearance. Like, if you if you could see that there's a big drop-off, does your van have the clearance that you need to be able to get through that particular area? Because you don't want to damage the undercarriage of your rig, or you don't want to, like, strike a rock to your oil pan and gut it open because then you're really up shit's Creek. Um, same, same for, like, your transmission as well, it, it, or your differential because if you lose fluid out of your differential, then your, your, your rear differential will seize and your tires won't spin. So it's just like all these different things that you really got to consider when even though these, these vans are really built to go through a lot, you know, if you make a mistake like that, it could be a mistake that costs a lot of money. Yeah, well, I mean, you're driving around your house. So even if it's four-wheel drive and all this stuff, like... You still want to be smart about not getting your house into a really bad situation. Mm -hmm. So taking this little walk beforehand, surveying the scene is going to save you so much trouble and heartache. Even if it's just to know that like, okay, when I hit this section, I'm going to go hard to the right to avoid the thing on the left. Yeah, it's kind of like what we did over here when I was going down the road. I was kind of avoiding some of the big drop-off areas by going to the right or to the left, knowing that I had the clearance on each side to keep my wheels on solid ground when we were doing this little uh, section over here. But uh, that story is kind of in the tank, so let's move on to the next story. Well, so I was just going to say... Another thing that you have to look out for, it's not just what's on the ground and what's on your left and right. It's also what's above you. So low-hanging branches, low wires. Mm -hmm. I feel like this has become much more of an issue since we've been in Central America with just the wires and the telephone wires and the electrical wires and just the low-hanging branches. Everything is so, like, lush and bountiful. The trees are just, like, overflowing. Yeah. So often you're going to need to be looking ahead and above you to make sure that you can clear whatever is there as well. well and it's also kind of like the electrical wires are just ran from like housetop to housetop sometimes like just 
across the road. There's no telephone poles that are like, you know, perfect for, you know, height of rigs and whatnot. I will say that a lot of the rigs down here driving down the roads are taller than us. And we're just under three meters because there's some trucks that like delivery trucks that would be taller. Mm -hmm. Three meters is nine feet. Three meters is like, uh, yes, yeah, nine, about nine feet. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about the time that we were in Alaska and we pulled up on this beautiful lake bed and it was kind of like a rocky um, shore and we wanted to, like or a, I wanted to. Like a soft river stone. Yes. And so I wanted to have the perfect spot parked right up by the water. And so Frankie obliged. Uh, I was still kind of skeptical about it, too. I was like, I don't know if it's like really soft down there. And Alex is like, come on, let's just get like a really good spot. And I'm like, all right. So I decided to go down there. And sure enough, we're driving down and we get down to the area. And then uh, I'm like moving forward pretty slowly. And then all of a sudden, we dig right in. Yeah, so in that case, the rock was, I guess, kind of loose over, like, a sandiness, and the sand wasn't very strong or hard-packed either, so we just dug in. So, at this point, we definitely needed our shovel. Yeah, we needed, well, first off, you need your hands, mm. because it's really hard to remove, like, fairly decent-sized rock with your hands. So I was with the shovel. I mean, with the shovel, so you have to use your hands. So I got in there. And I started digging out spots. I actually remember I cut my hand open a little bit too, just on like some something sharp, I guess. And I'm pulling these rocks out. And then I actually went and I found like I dug a little hole, but then I found like really good solid rock that I could put like kind of in that hole and make like my own little path out. So this is using found materials. So whether it's you know, a good-looking piece of wood or a strong, flat rock. Um, something that you have kind of in the area nearby that you can use almost like a Max Track. We own Max Tracks as well, and so those have been on the van since basically just before we came down to Baja. Mm -hmm. But I would highly suggest having them because they would have come in handy so many times in the United States. I would even suggest having two sets if you can because one set... You could walk off her, but then trying to get back onto another set is really difficult. So if you have two sets, you could butt them up right next to each other. So when you go off the one, you get right onto a new one. So you're always creating this road for yourself. So that way you could just make a road to get out on the on top of the Max Tracks. And I know some of these things are kind of expensive. Like I think the Max Tracks, like for the real legit ones, which... You should definitely get. We have the knockoff ones that were maybe 150. The real ones were like 300 and change. Yeah. But then we were with somebody who had the real ones, and theirs were just so much better than our knockoff ones. Yeah, and I would say, think about it like this. If you get stuck once, it pays for itself. If well, you get stuck twice, it really pays for itself. If you get stuck five times, I mean, you probably would have been out at least three grand if this happened in the United States. Yeah. So, so you just got to look at it as like a long-term uh, investment. Yeah, think about how much a tow truck would cost to come out to the middle of nowhere. Um, I guess uh, often people's insurance covers things like that, but just the time that you're saving and like having to call your insurance company and like get them to come and get you out. And even sometimes insurance doesn't cover it because you're off the main road. Right. Like a lot of the time they'll be like, oh, are you on like, you know, a forestry road or whatever? Oh, we don't cover that. Right. So like we cover the main road. Yeah, so it's definitely an investment that's super worthwhile. Um, we've only had to been towed out of spots twice. Once with a wench from a friend who had it secured to the front of their vehicle. And once by an actual legit tow truck. Alright, so let's talk about the first one, our friends. We were in Lake Mead. And while we were hanging out, we were going to meet up with some other friends. And as we're driving down there, they're all parked in their buses and whatnot. And there really wasn't a spot for us over there. So I like kind of pulled down a little bit lower. And once again, this is that same type of soft rock that we had in uh, Alaska. So I was a little sketched out by it. I remember when we were pulling up there, but I was like, ah, whatever, we'll, we'll figure it out. One of the big things that you could do with soft rock is air down your tires. So air down your tires to, you know, maybe whatever. Make sure you look at the specs of your tires. Um, we could air down to like 20% like of, uh, you know, max full capacity, volume, full yeah. volume, and uh, be fine. As long as you're not driving fast, you're just, and you would only be creeping on stuff like that anyway. 
Um, so that means you must have an air compressor with you so that way you can air back up before you hit the highway or the main road. And so we have a little tiny air compressor. It fits into like a little carry bag. We stow it in the back. And I think it was less than a hundred dollars. It was sixty bucks. Yeah, it's super handy, and you just have to make sure when you're buying these that it goes up to the psi that your tire needs. So, like, if your tire needs eighty psi, make sure you get one that goes to like at least a hundred. Yeah, ours does hundred and twenty psi. It will take some time to get up to that, you know, that type of volume, but it's better than having nothing. And when you're living this lifestyle, you kind of have the time. Yeah, because often, you know, if you're driving down a certain kind of road. You want to air down your tires, but then when you get back to the highway, you need to air up. And so before we got the air compressor, I remember stopping in multiple gas stations to try to find an air pump. And in our last van, the PSI on our tires was actually way higher. It was 80 for all of them. Oh, was it? Mm -hmm. Okay, because they were like truck tires. But so the gas stations that we went to, their max PSI was like 60. Yeah. So we couldn't actually fill our tires to the capacity that they needed at these gas stations. Yeah. So we had to go to like multiple different gas stations until we found a truck stop that could actually fill our PSI. Yeah. But now we have the unit where we could do it ourselves. It's super easy. You could do it in the middle of nowhere. As soon as you get off that shitty road, you just pull over and then air up all your tires and then you're good to go on the highway. So yeah, we, we drive up to Lake Mead and we're, we're driving up onto this, you know, river rock area. And as we're pulling up, I just automatically feel us start to like spin into a spot. So I was like, all right, let me back up because we're on an angle where when you, when you go to move backwards, it normally works pretty well. Uh, if you have weight in your van and it's downhill, you could almost always go backwards. So we went back and then I charged up into this section where I thought it would be a little bit better. And, and it was a little bit better, but uh, sure enough, rolled back a little bit and we're back in that like soft rock area. And so we tried, I tried to like shimmy in and out of it. I got the max tracks out, but I couldn't really put them underneath. Um, got one to go underneath, but we were so dug in at this point that it was just like, all right, we're going to live here until we have to get out because we're going to be there for like three days anyway. Yeah, and so this is, I don't know how much we want to get into this, and we're certainly not going to name any names, but when we showed up at this spot, there was multiple other people camped there that we knew, and so we're thinking, oh, these people are going to help us now that we're stuck. They're going to, you know, maybe someone will come and try to push. Maybe somebody has an extra set of recovery boards. Maybe somebody has some experience or some knowledge or some something to yeah. like help us out they just like sat there and watched yeah they didn't they didn't help out at all which was kind of unfortunate um i will say that one of the couples i didn't expect to help because they were doing a challenge that was uh pretty intense yeah but the rest of them i i you know i didn't expect them to help but, but it would have been, been nice. nice yeah i know i would have helped them so well so it's it interesting because Somebody did end up coming to help us, and that was our friends that were actually a couple hundred miles away. We happened to be, like, chatting with them in a group chat, and just, like, you know, we talked to them quite frequently. And so they were like, oh, you're stuck. Like, where are you? Send us a pin. And they said, okay, no problem. We'll be there tomorrow. Yeah, it was Matt and Amber. They wanted to come out and give us a hand anyway. They wanted to hang out before they headed back east, because at this point they were headed east, and it would be, like, one of the last times that we get an opportunity to, like, hang out with them for possibly a year or more. Yeah, so it was really nice of them to come out, and the reason that they came out and the reason that they could help us is because they have a wench attached to the front of their vehicle. And so they bought a 4x4 Sprinter knowing that they wanted to do crazy off-road stuff, they wanted to be way off the beaten path, and they bought all the recovery gear to be able to do that. So they show up with their wench, they, you know, hook it up, blah, 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 one, two, three, we're out. No problem at all. Mm -hmm. So that was super handy. And honestly, we were looking at wenches before we came down to Central America. But on the ProMaster, it's a little bit tricky in order to mount it. You have to basically change out your whole bumper. There's no tow hitch in the back. So it becomes much, much more expensive than just getting the, the wench, which mm -hmm. is also kind of expensive. So we ended up passing on it because of money. But... Again, you know, it's like money or time, money your vehicle, money, you know, getting out of a situation. Like, what's more valuable? Yeah, and so speaking of Matt and Amber, they go by the name of Adaptive Humanity. You could go check them out on Instagram. We'll leave it in the show notes as well. Um, but they also have a company, and that company actually is building out 
like crazy overlanding rigs to get you to go pretty much wherever you want. So if you have the money to be able to, you know, buy a rig already built or like partially built in the sense of like they get you to rig, they get the box on it, and then they send you all the materials for the layout that you're looking for. And uh, it has instructions on how to put it together. So you'd just be putting it together. It'd save you a ton of time. Yes, but I will also say, they bought the 4x4 Sprinter thinking that it was going to be the bee's knees. But it actually wasn't good enough for what they needed. They ended up in a situation where they were way out. And what did they break? They broke their transfer case. Which is the thing that makes your vehicle 4x4. And for the Mercedes, it doesn't only make it 4x4, but it's the only way that you can get into the two-wheel drive. If it's an older rig, then you don't need to worry about that. So, because the diff there's a different, like a different type of transfer case that are in the Mercedes that I think they're electronic now instead of being um, manual. So, they couldn't just like go back in the two-wheel drive and drive away or like get pulled out and drive down the road. They had to legit get towed out of that spot and then get their transfer case replaced. Yeah, so after that, they decided that the Sprinter just wasn't going to be good enough for them. And they actually sold that vehicle after they fixed it, of course. And then got into these crazy badass, like almost military-grade adventure vehicles. Mm -hmm. So, again, depending on the type of traveling you're going to do, the type of adventuring, the rig that you get is really important. Yeah, so in this particular situation, air down, tracks, wench, these are all things that you could use to get yourself out. Hopefully there's another rig that you could wench up to uh, to pull yourself out, which I'm sure you could find in a situation like that. Sometimes there'll be like trees. This particular area didn't have a tree or an area to like kind of dig and like put your tire in the ground and then put bury it and then wench, you know, wench to that to get you out. So this particular place, you kind of needed another rig to help get you out of this situation. Mm -hmm. So the other time that we had to be actually towed out by a tow truck, the only time that we've ever had to been out of a situation from a tow truck, we've talked about it before, we recently made a video about it on YouTube, it's when we got stuck in the ocean tides in Baja. Woo! That was a rough one, boy. Uh, this one was the scariest one. And the reason why it was the scariest was because we actually had to like abandon our van. So if you want to see the full story of this, definitely go check out the YouTube channel because um, there's way more in that than what I'm going to tell here. Uh, so we drove up to a lake bed and we were going to hang out with some no. friends. I'm sorry, we drove up to an ocean uh, salt marsh area, but we were going to this eye overlander spot, which was taken. So we drove a little bit more inland and uh, or like adjacent to where that guy was and uh, we could kind of see that area. So we're like, oh, we should be pretty good. Make sure to check the area, have a tide app. So that way you know what's going on with the tides. We actually had that, but we stopped looking at it because we didn't realize the tides were still just as crazy on this side. So there's actually a couple of different apps that are actually gonna be really helpful for your adventuring. So a tide app is a really good one. A weather app is also a really good one, like a really, robust weather app that's going to tell you where the storms are, when they're coming, things like that, so that you can decide if you want to drive or not, decide if you're parked in a good spot or not, um, all based on the weather. You're also definitely going to want iOverlander to read reviews from other people. We've often seen things that, you know, describe how horrible and shitty and terrible the road is and yeah. like must have four by four to come this way. And you're like, okay, we're not going that way. So this one was definitely a two-wheel drive situation. You were able to go down there, but the thing was is you had to stay on the road. If you went off the road in any type of way, you're hitting the salt marsh, and which we didn't realize at the time. And so as we were trying to leave, I tried to like back out and sl like turn around real quick, but I unfortunately got our tires stuck in one of those, you know, the salt marsh. And the reason why it was so like abrupt and why it happened so fast was because the water was already coming in so that underneath that area was soaked up with water and so the water made it like mush and it just our van kind of just sunk into it we tried to have some friends help us pull us out that didn't work out too well but so they tried to pull us out with the soft shackle which is super handy it's basically like a loop-de-loop -loop thing that you can put onto your vehicle so that you're not putting like a metal shackle on your vehicle mm -hmm. um, so you're not going to scratch anything and then you for sure, 100%, if it's the only piece of gear that you buy, and we're going to have links for all this stuff down below, you need a rope that is at least 20 feet long 
that has the capacity to pull a vehicle your size. Yeah. So um, the toe strap was definitely something that we absolutely needed, like you said, Alex. And uh, you said a soft shackle too? Yeah. Sorry, I, I missed it. Um, but yeah, the recovery boards did not work in this situation because of the water and you can't air down in a situation like this because if you go to air down in water in water you could break your tire seal they call it uh i think they call it the i forget exactly what the terminology is for it but there's there's like a bead around your tire that seals the tire onto the rim and if you break that seal your air comes out and then your tire comes off of your rim and you would put yourself in a really bad situation of like having to drive out now, which you wouldn't be able to. You would have no wheel. You'll damage your rim. So, uh, yeah, at this point we were kind of really stuck and then the other van got stuck and we needed to tow out in this situation. In this situation in particular, if we had 4x4, we would have gotten out because the back tires were actually on the hotter land, like the land that we needed to be in. Um, and if the other couple would have stayed on the road, they would have gotten out as well. So, you know, really understanding the road that you're on. Once again, this is nighttime and we didn't really have a choice but to leave this spot because the water was coming up another three meters over that night. So another so nine feet of water at least was coming in, which is just kind of crazy to think about. Uh, there's a real good chance that if our van stayed out there that we wouldn't have a van today. But we do, and yeah. we were able to find someone in town to come out with a tow truck. Their tow truck cord actually, because of the way that the water was, they couldn't come back far enough for their tow truck strap to reach us. So thankfully, we had the 20-foot rope already shackled to our vehicle and was able to use that rope to hook into their rope, mm -hmm. and then they were able to pull us out. So 100% you need a rope. <laughs> and we bought that rope right before we went down to Mexico and Baja area. And so this rope has come in handy a lot. Um, and speaking of that rope coming in handy, brings us to our next story, which was just recently what happened. And you can watch the video. We had to use these tow straps quite a bit, actually, to even recover a big, huge box truck that was like super heavy. It was had lumber in it. It was just a big truck and it would be like to try to push it with a couple people from the back was impossible. So this you might actually really need to go watch the video to understand. But so basically they tied for the truck. They tied the rope to the truck and they tied the rope we to a tree. We wrapped it around the tree a few times and then used it as like leverage to be able to push the rope uh, up, and that way it would push the truck uphill and also pull it away from the wall that it got stuck on because it was stuck on like a concrete building uh, in like the back corner of the rig. So uh, yeah, we, we were able with like five guys to be able to push the thing uphill. Meanwhile, like a four by four truck couldn't pull it up the hill. So it just goes to show the amount of power that this leverage gave us to be able to get this rig to go up the hill. Yeah, so understanding how those ropes can help you in different ways to leverage them and work them so that they can kind of even pull your van sideways to get out of something. Because in this particular spot, we were stuck against a wall. So we had, you know, a couple inches from a wall at the back and a couple inches from the wall at the front. Yep. And so we couldn't really move forward and we couldn't really move back. We had to move sideways to get out, which I don't know if you know anything about cars, they don't move sideways very Unless easily. Unless you have like one of those really crazy cool cars that like could park themselves and they like go, ah. they go like the wheels turn completely sideways and then yeah, they go yeah. in. That's the only way we could have got out of this situation is if we had the ability for the wheels to turn almost completely sideways. Um, but yeah, we utilized one of the ropes on the back of our van and hooked it up to a rig that was kind of parked in a spot that could help us like keep it from sliding into the wall if necessary and he also turned his wheels a little so that way when the guy in the front pulls us to help assist us up the hill um, we could keep our ass from sliding and hitting the back too as well so yeah it was it was really uh crazy the fact that we started being able to use this knowledge that we learned in that particular moment from kyle um on how to use those straps properly and now we know if we ever get into a situation, one of the things that could be our biggest help is our toe strap. 
Yeah, it's actually amazing what you can do with ropes, and I think that sailors have known this for years. Mm -hmm. um, but so it's definitely amazing in the recovery, you know, off-road community as well. So definitely, you know, get at least one, if not two ropes, because they can really save your vehicle. Yeah, I mean, after we get back to the States, I'll definitely have two tow straps, because there are times where you'll need two of them. Yeah, and they're and not they, that crazy expensive. And they don't take up that much room either. Yeah. So it's like very easy for us to be able to carry two tow straps, have the sh soft shackles that we need, have all the stuff we need. We're going to have all this in our Amazon shop for you guys that will be linked down below as well, um, our, from the pump to the, uh, to the strap. And I would even say go out there and get a wench. Like um, make sure that the wench is the proper weight for what you're going to be, you know, for your rig. That way you could pull your rig out of situations that you need. Make sure to have the ability to be able to maneuver that wench from the front to the back of the of the rig as well because this will save you in many situations where you get stuck like forward into a space and you need to use the back side of your rig to kind of pull you out. Yeah, so there's definitely a lot to think about here. The other thing I was just thinking was a lot of these situations have happened at night and so having really good outside lighting, so floodlights or something like that, lights off the back of the vehicle, even lights off the side of the vehicle. If you're trying to get into a spot at night, if you're trying to get out of a spot at night, being able to like fully light up the area mm -hmm. is super helpful because then you can actually see where you're going. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing to talk about too. When you do get stuck in these situations and you have to abandon your rig, one of the things that you could do is have your lights on and like leave the van with the lights on. Um, because if you could leave it with the lights on, then you know where to go back to. Uh, because in our situation, we kind of had to find the road again on where our rig was. And you couldn't see anything. Couldn't see anything. There. You And both rigs had no lights on. So if you have like an interior light that you could turn on or whatever it is that you could shine out or you could use your back battery bank system, like your house battery system to uh, keep your lights on. Um, or even if your battery dies, that's fine. We have recovery equipment for that as well. We have this like little Trek Pow. Um, I don't think it's called Trek Pow on Amazon anymore, but it is a little battery pack that could literally jumpstart our van if we're in the middle of nowhere and nobody else is out there and our battery dies, we could do it ourselves. Yeah, we've actually had our battery die a bunch of times um, because of our own mistakes. Yep. Um, but yeah, so... In those situations, that's a super awesome piece of recovery gear because, you know, obviously if you're with friends or, you know, you're at a gas station or something, like there's somebody around to jump you, but to be able to jump yourself is amazing. The other thing we talked about briefly was that situation where all those people who are our friends weren't in willing to help us get out. I think one of the biggest lessons for us on the road has always been to help out whenever you can, wherever you can, because you never know when you're gonna need that help returned to you. And so if you're just kind of like, even just building karma points and like, you know, I don't know, we live in a van, like you have the time, you have the knowledge, maybe you even have some of the tools to be able to help somebody else, why not? Because, you know, a couple miles down the road, you might be in a similar situation where you're needing help We've gotten so much amazing help since we've been in Central America the couple of times that we need it. Like, the entire town is out trying to help us and make sure we're good and, you know, watching and, you know, cheering us on. And it feels amazing when people are on your side. Because the worst thing about all these situations is that you do kind of go into a panic mode. You do start to, like, fret and worry and you do start to, like act impulsively or you know oh we got to get out right now we got to get out right now and like having other people around to help you is so amazing mm -hmm, it is and uh ever since that moment where we got stuck in Baja I mean even before then I was always helping people but after that moment I think I helped like four more people get out of spots by using our recovery boards and helping push and doing all the things that we needed to do to kind of help them get them out of their situation uh it is it's it's inevitable that people are going to get stuck and the best thing like Alex said is to do to help them because you're going to you're going to rack up those comma points. You're going to you're going to get a good feeling too within yourself uh, after you help these people as well. So think about 
it's like almost like a selfish thing that you're doing because you're helping, even though it's not selfish, but you're actually building your own, you know, uh, self and self-worth and knowledge uh, of how to help people get out of these situations. Well, yeah, you're building your knowledge bank for sure. I'm thinking about the time in Mammoth Lakes where our vehicle was fine. The Garden Bell's vehicle was fine. But this guy in like a SUV something was stuck yeah he had four by four like tacoma and he went way out and he was trying to get to this hot spring and the sand in the sand the snow was so deep that he was driving over it and then all of a sudden his truck just like sunk because he found like a soft spot and so when he sunk the the layer of snow that he wound up going on top of packs down and basically becomes like a layer of ice so he was his chassis was literally sitting on top of the snow so his tires weren't even touching the ground anymore when he was trying to drive. So Joe and myself went out there and we started to help him get out. We started to dig and like, you know, try to help him get out of the situation. And then there was a Jeep uh, with this Korean couple that uh, was driving and snowboarding a bunch of different mountains and they wanted to go out to the hot spring. And I was just like, hey, any chance that you guys could help? And they were like, yeah, we would love to. So they started driving back there in the Jeep. <coughs> But the Jeep is like stock tires. It wasn't, you know, like uh, four, it was four by four, but it wasn't like off-road ready with like the real deal tires. It had street tires on it. So as they're driving back there, they then get stuck. So even though they were coming to help, they got themselves into a situation. So we're like, all right, now we got to get this rig out. So we dig them out and I wind up having to drive the car out of the situation because they couldn't do it. So I was like, all right, I'll get you guys out. We'll, uh, you know, just let me, let me drive the vehicle. They were like, okay. So dig a little, then back up. And then I get to the spot where I'm like, all right, I could just like reverse out and I'll be fine. So I just kind of like floor it and get out of there for them. And then gave them back the car and said like, thank you for your help. But, you know, uh, the rig's not going to be able to get back here and pull him. So we're just going to dig him out. So then they actually came over and helped us dig him out and push it out, even though their vehicle wound up getting stuck. They came over and wanted to help anyway. They were super sweet. Mm -hmm. Frankie and Joe spent hours and hours and hours getting this vehicle out. The sun literally was setting as we were doing it, too. So, you know, it, even, though, even though it wasn't what we wanted to do that day, in the sense, like, we wanted to go in the hot spring, it was what we needed to do that day. Yeah, and, like, just helping them and learning about, you know, the chassis and the snow and, like, all these different situations. And, like, for you and Joe, it was a fun bonding experience. Oh, we had an awesome time. <laughs> and, like, it just showed our character to each other, you know? Like, the fact that we wanted to help a complete stranger. You know, like, we that was what we wanted to do. And so we took our time, did that. The ladies stayed back. You guys made some, some food for us and stuff. And yeah. we were in a good place, you know? Um, and the people were so thankful for what we just did as well and the other beautiful thing about having the van is that you know in situations like that where it's cold outside and whatever you know the guy whose truck was stuck he came into our van and like just hung out for a bit and like relaxed and was able to get warm yeah and like you know you can make a hot cup of tea for people or whatever i'm thinking about another time we were driving in canada and there was this um family whose car was stopped at the side of the road and they were waving us down they were an indigenous family we were in the middle of nowhere like miles and miles and miles between towns and they flagged us down it was freezing cold it was, it was probably like january in canada which is like the worst coldest month in canada and so you know they were in their car that was dead so the car has no heat no ability to heat and so they all came and sat in our van for like an hour. Mm. They called the tow truck. They did all the stuff. They like... I think they just ran out of fuel is what happened. And so they just needed like a warm place to sit. So we were that opportunity for them to be able to just like sit in our van and get warm. Yeah, you we know? have so much luxury in these vans that like there's been a couple times where we've been stuck and we're like, you know what? Let's just deal with this tomorrow. Like it's not even worth it to deal with it right now. The great thing about being stuck in your vehicle is that... You could literally just go in the back and make dinner. Yeah. You could go to bed. You could take a nap. You could take a shower. You could yeah. go to the bathroom. You know, all you normally, these things are here. You normally even have, like, water and everything that you need. Like, there's a, most of the time we're, like, full-on water. So, you know, there's, like, we have the necessities of life on us at all times. Yeah, so even when you do get stuck, don't panic. Don't freak out. 
worst case, you just sleep in your house. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Even that the one night in Lake Atitlan when we were really stuck, we were stuck basically for three days in Lake Atitlan. On the third night that we were stuck, we, or I guess the second night that we were stuck, we were on like a 45 degree angle. And so we couldn't necessarily cook in the van. We actually ended up going out for dinner to like lick our wounds a little bit, but we were still able to sleep in the van, you know? And so we're always so grateful that we have the van, that, you know, we have all of these things at our disposal and that when we're stuck, we're always, you know, you're just stuck at home. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the lessons that we learned in one of those stories, like the one where we were stuck in Baja from the tides was... We looked at iOverlander, we read this review of the spot, that was the only spot to stay, so maybe sometimes venturing off when you're close to the ocean is not a great idea. Um, utilize the spots that are known to be okay. And also, when something like that does happen, update iOverlander, go on the app, give the warning. Like, after that spot at, the, at Guerrero Negro, I went in and said, Staying at this spot is great, but don't try to venture into a different area. This spot is great because it's safe and the water doesn't come up here. Mm -hmm. If you go to the next area over, you're going to get stuck. Mm -hmm. We also updated Pierre's listing in San Marcos to say this spot is great, but if you're coming in rainy season... Be prepared to get stuck because everybody does, unless you have 4 by 4 Right, so... You know, just letting the next traveler down the road know what happened to you so they can avoid it. And I would even go as far as, like, even if you had 4x4, four four, or if, but if your rig doesn't have the power to go up a hill, that spot is no good. Because there was, there was three rigs, I think, that were, like, stuck there because one, turbo, like, one person's turbo went out and they couldn't make it up the hill because they didn't have the power because the turbo went out. Uh, another person, just the, the truck was old and doesn't have the power to go up a hill like that. So these are just some things that you want to really think about when you purchase your rig, depending on where you're going to go. Yeah, and just always be smart, make good choices. You know, my best friend Ashton always says, safety first and then teamwork. You know, it's all about making the right choice, walking the road, looking at the reviews, being smart about the spots so that you don't get stuck. And then when you do get stuck, it's about that teamwork. So Frank and I were a really great team under pressure, honestly. You know, when something happens, we just go into fix-it mode. It doesn't matter that Frank drove into the spot. I'm not going to yell at him for driving into the mud. And I'm not going to yell at Alex for wanting to go to that spot, you know, and then saying, all right, let's do it. You know, it's just going to be part of the adventure in my mind. Yeah, so it's kind of like, you know, there's no point in blaming you know, oh, it's your fault that this happened. You know, it's just, it's already a stressful situation. And so being able to just communicate and deal with it and like, you know, get through it together is going to make you such a stronger couple. And I think that, you know, <laughs> life on the road really puts these challenges in your way. You know, van life is amazing and it's lovely, but stuff like this happens. You are going to get stuck and, you know, sometimes you might break down or whatever the case may be. But if you're with somebody that when the bad things happen, all you do is fight and yell and argue and nitpick and do all these things, it makes getting stuck so much worse. It really does. It, it makes it... The, the way that you react could change your whole perspective on life and, and a situation. And then... You know, I'm just really thankful to have Alex as a partner, and I'm thankful for the fact that we could really communicate with one another, because it's one of the things in life that I feel like, you know, a lot of people don't have in their partner, and like, why would you stay in a relationship if both of you aren't willing to work with one another and for one another, you know, and remember that situations are always happening for you and not against you. Um, so like even the situations where they're highly stressful, it's happening for you. You're learning something new from it. You're learning how to cope and how to deal with certain things. You're learning that maybe, you know, you weren't supposed to be in that place, uh, you know, down the road. Maybe it's a place that you don't go back to. Maybe you learn that people around you might not necessarily be the right people for you. That doesn't mean that they're not right for somebody else. And also, you know, we're full believers and we are where we are when we're supposed to be there. 
And so whenever we're getting stuck somewhere, it's like, all right, we were supposed to spend another night here. Okay, it's fine. You know, we're going to get linked up with something down the road that wouldn't have been possible if we had, you know, left today. Mm -hmm. The day that we met Uncle Kevin, actually, we had just come off of like a really big breakdown and we were feeling really defeated and like, you know, that we wanted to be on the road, but we were in the shop and we were having to fix all of these things and yada yada. But if we hadn't been delayed fixing all of those things, we would have never met Uncle Kevin. Yeah, in that parking lot and then caravan for two weeks and then made an amazing relationship with a person that we didn't even know existed. You know, so we're so grateful for all the things that happen, good or bad. It allows us to be molded as humans, to be better people to one another, to ourselves and to the future people that are going to come into our lives and even to the past people that have come into our lives and things happened in those situations you know i i would love to always mend any relationship that we've ever had on the road and just like you know know that we were trying to be there for one another and not against one another sounds like we got into a lot of fights with a lot of people we haven't but you know it's just the idea of like other people that are listening are going to have these situations occur. They might have several people that they wind up, you know, having situations with and then, you know, not wanting to ever mend that relationship and just know like that I, I you don't necessarily have to mend the relationship, but I think that the idea is to always be open to that and to be willing to, you know let bygones let, be bygones. Correct. And and just once again remember to try to be there for one another. Yeah, so if you enjoyed this episode and you got some knowledge out of it, be sure to drop a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We would love to hear from you guys, love to hear what you're enjoying about the show, what you want to hear in upcoming episodes. We think that this recovery stuff is so important, especially going into winter in the north. And even if you're fleeing from winter, you're going to get into those sandy situations. So having this information and these products can actually really, really, really help you um, enjoy life on the road, even if the particular day that you get stuck isn't the best day of your adventure. Yeah. And believe me, you're going to have ups and downs on the road. Just keep flowing with it and know that your, your van life adventure, your adventure that you're on in life in general is going to work out in the end. And remember, life is working for you, not against you. And we hope that you have an FNA day. Make sure you subscribe to their YouTube channel, FNA Van Life. All right, all that.